0: Welcome to Cleft Talk, bringing you discussion on the topics that adults affected by cleft lip and or cleft palate have told us matter to them. Brought to you by the Cleft Lip and Palate Association, as part of CLEF Adult Services Program, proudly funded by the VTCT Foundation. You're listening to Cleft Talk with Kenny Ardwin and Mickey Davis.
1: Hello and welcome. My name is Nikki Davies, and I'm the Adult Services Officer at Clapper.
0: And I'm Kenny Ardwin, and I'm the Adult Services Coordinator. Together, we make up Clapper's Adult Service Delivery Team.
1: Welcome to this month's Cleft Talk panel discussion, brought to you by Clapper's Adult Services Project, pr- proudly supported by the VTCT Foundation.
0: Cleft Talk is your opportunity to learn more about the topics that adults born with a cleft across the UK told us are important to them through the Adult Survey and Roadshow.
1: We hope that you find our panel discussions both entertaining and informative. Remember that you can keep up with the Adult Services Project online, including watching or listening to this and other panel discussions again at www.clapper.com slash adult services project. You also can join the conversation on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash groups slash clapperadults.
0: This month on the programme we're discussing a topic that becomes of interest to many adults as they start to settle down a bit, genetics and decision making around having children. Our focus groups and 2018 survey showed that this was a topic people were very interested in but perhaps didn't know an awful lot about.
1: Today we hope to provide you with some information so that you feel better informed about some of the genetic factors of CLEF.
0: It is our pleasure to welcome our marvellous panel guest Jess Hare, clinical psychologist and Margot Whiteford, former geneticist in the Scotland CLEF service. Can you please start by telling us a bit about yourselves and your background? Start with you, Margot.
2: Well, as you said, I'm Margot Whiteford, and I'm a very recently retired consultant (laughs) clinical geneticist. I started working for the cleft team in the west of Scotland way back in 1996, so I've got about 23 years experience of seeing uh, mainly children uh, with clefts, but obviously some of these children are now adults, so I've seen them back at the, the genetics clinic to discuss the sort of questions that you're, you're wanting to discuss today.
0: Excellent, well we're very grateful to you for coming yeah. out of retirement yes, thank to you. Join us, so Thank <laughs> you.
3: Um, and as you said, I'm Jess Hare and I'm one of two clinical psychologists who um, work in the cleft team here in Scotland. Scotland, um, and I've been here for the past two and a half years, and before that um, I was in the East of England CAF team down in Cambridge, and CAFT is the only area I've ever worked in since qualifying as a clinical psychologist.
0: Excellent, a pleasure as always to have
1: you, Jess. Thank Thank you. Okay, so this first one's for you, Margot. Genetics is such a big topic, this can be hard to know where to start, but can you please give us an overview of what genetics are?
2: It is a big subject.
1: <laughs> it seems to
2: be getting bigger all the, yeah, the time. Yeah. Basically, uh, our genes are the inherited factors that get passed from generation to generation. that They're basically instructions or recipes about how the body's to form in the first instance when it's developing in the womb, how it functions and grows as we go out throughout life, and um, things like our brown hair and our blue eyes and such like. But as I say, a lot of the genes are working. If, straight after conception to make sure that all the parts of the body arrive in the right place at the the right time. And it's not just one gene for each of these functions, it's usually multiple genes that are involved and it's all very complex.
0: (laughs) Now, some of us will be able to remember back a little bit um, to biology class and we'll recall terms like autosomal dominant, autosomal recessive, X-linked genes and the like can briefly explain the various ways in which a clean can be passed to our children.
2: You're quite right in remembering back to biology in these uh, <laughs> terms, but of course everybody, not everybody does biology at school. I so don't remember that not, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> <laughs> These will be completely foreign words. So basically, all of our genes come in pairs, because we get one from mum and one from dad of each of the pairs of genes. And some medical problems arise if only one of the pair of the genes is altered in some way, whereas other medical problems only if both the copies of a pair of genes have got an alteration in them. So the autosomal dominant that you mentioned, that's when only one uh, of the pair of genes is altered and gets passed down from parent to child to the next generation, whereas recessive is the one where both copies of a pair of genes need to be altered in some way. And in that situation, the mum and dad are completely healthy, they don't have any medical problems, they've got one altered copy of the gene and one normal copy of the gene but obviously they both pass on their altered copy mm. of the gene the child has then two altered copies mm. and no normal copy of the gene to compensate and with that type of inheritance we tend to see the medical problems only in one generation of the family because even if the child has got the two altered copies when they grow up and have a partner, their partner is likely to have two normal copies mm, of that gene mm. and therefore their children will not be affected. Mm. The X-linked ones a, a strange one, um, again some people who have done biology will remember <laughs> that males have one X and one Y chromosome which is what makes them male whereas females have two X chromosomes. So if there's an altered gene on the X chromosome it tends to affect males rather than females because the females got their second copy of that gene on their other X chromosome. So again, the way that that's inherited quite often, the mother will be unaffected by the medical problem, even though she's got the altered gene on the X chromosome. But if she passes it on to a boy, he will be affected by the condition. But if she passes it on to a girl, that girl will be a healthy carrier of the altered gene, just like her mum.
0: Well, thank you for that explanation, because I I think it it can be quite confusing sometimes to figure out mm-hmm. you know, why there might be an isolated case of something within yes, a, mm-hmm. a family, but I, I think that helps us begin to understand some of the things that can happen and just how complex.
2: And sometimes the, the gene sh- becomes altered as it's passed on, so there's been nobody else in the family with the mm-hmm. condition before them, but then once that altered gene's passed on, it can then go down the generations mm-hmm. of
1: a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We often hear that clef is a combination of genetic and environmental factors coming together. When it exceeds a threshold, a clef occurs. Can you do your best to explain in lay terms this threshold theory? <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: like I was saying uh, earlier, it's probably multiple genes which mm-hmm. need to be altered before somebody is even susceptible to a cleft occurring. So they will have inherited these multiple genes probably from both parents. Uh, and that makes them susceptible to cleft, but something else has to happen during the pregnancy before the cleft will actually occur. So there'll be some babies who have the susceptibility, who are never exposed to the environmental factors and they're fine, and there'll be other babies who are exposed to the environmental factors, but because they haven't got the susceptibility genes, they don't develop a, a cleft. So it's only that group in the middle mm. that have got both the susceptibility genes and are exposed to their environmental factors that will actually be affected by a cleft.
0: Right. Makes a lot of sense. And obviously we can't control, we don't have control over our genetics. No, we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, to some extent we may have some control over some of the environmental contributors to cleft. So to that end, can you please explain what the environmental or the known environmental yeah, factors is- for cleft are. And if there's anything that people can do to reduce the likelihood of their child having a cleft, and if so, at what point you recommend they do it? We
2: don't know an awful lot about either the genetic or the environmental factors <laughs> involved in clefts occurring. We do know some of the environmental factors, like ladies who are insulin-dependent diabetics have got a higher risk of having a baby with a cleft. Similarly, ladies who have epilepsy and have to take certain anti-epileptic medications have got an increased risk of having a baby with a, a, a cleft. And in these situations, the lady with diabetes, if she sees her diabetic consultant and gets her control as good as possible prior to trying for a pregnancy, that would be important. And the ladies with epilepsy, if they see their epileptic consultant and it may well be that they get changed on to another medication prior to a pregnancy or they may be reassured that the medication that they're on is one of the mm-hmm. ones that's less likely to to cause any problems. For other kind of problems that occur in newborn babies we we know about vitamins being involved and there has been various theories that that might be involved in clefts as well but none of the studies have proven that conclusively mm-hmm. at the, the moment it suggests that any mother trying for a pregnancy takes folic acid to prevent other things like spina bifida occurring in the the baby and also the the multivitamin tablet that's recommended for all pregnant women and also just leading a healthy lifestyle having a a good balanced diet getting Mm. exercise and fresh air and just being as healthy as possible before trying for a pregnancy.
3: Does Mm. that go for the, the men as well? (laughs)
2: It's not quite so important (laughs) (laughs) for the men unfortunately we can't say that because they don't actually carry the the baby so it's not so important so uh, men with uh, epilepsy and diabetes don't have an increased risk of having a a baby with a cleft Mm.
1: damn inequality I know It's not fair (laughs) If I was born with a cleft myself is my child more likely to be born with a cleft than someone who has no history of cleft Unfortunately
2: yes, (laughs) and again that's because we know that genetic factors are involved Mm. probably in some people and not in others, but because we can't pick out these people who have the genetic factors Mm. and those that don't, then we have to say to everybody who has a cleft that they would Mm. have an increased chance. So in most kind of developed countries population, the chance of having a baby with a cleft lip with or without a cleft palate is about 1 in 700 and those having a baby with an isolated cleft palate, about 1 in 1500, it's a bit less less common. So for somebody who's already got a cleft themselves, these figures change quite dramatically actually, and it goes up to a 1 in 50 chance. So mm. of 50 eh, couples where one of them's got a cleft, their chance of having a baby with cleft is about 1 chance in fifty. One of these couples would have a a baby with a cleft. Mm. Mm. I quite often turn that round the other way Mm. and say that 49 out of the 50 Mm. are not going to have a baby with a cleft (laughs) and it sounds much more reassuring that way. So it's still a low risk one Mm. in 50, although it's higher than the population risk. I
3: I remember um, there was a patient I'd referred to you once and I think one of the things that you said that was quite helpful to them was that you'd also compared that to the likelihood of having any. That that's true, and I think if most people knew what the risks
2: were before they had babies, <laughs> less people would be having babies. If we took a hundred couples with no health problems in their family, then the the likelihood of them having a a baby with a a severe medical problem would be that two or three out of that hundred would have a baby mm. with a severe medical problem. So that kind of. 1 in 50 is actually 2 in 100, mm, so it's similar to yeah. the chance mm-hmm. of having a baby mm. with some sort of medical problem. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, mm. you know, it's a really interesting one in our community of, of adults who are thinking mm. about, about having children, because obviously cleft is from the centre of their mind, mm. but you're, you're exactly right, there's so many other things mm-hmm. that because we haven't got that direct connection with we don't y- think about, we y- don't worry yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's a lottery well. for everyone, yeah. that's right. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Um, now, one of the things that we know frustrates people is that there's a lot of different statistics that are often quoted out there for the chance of having a child be born with a cleft. I mean, we, we see them on our Facebook page all the time, all sorts of different, different things. And um, you know, obviously that, that one in 50 is, is a, a good benchmark, but where can people go to get the best genetic information that's bespoke to them?
2: I mean, you will see variable figures because the way that these figures are Um, found are by population studies. So one population is going to be slightly different from another population Mm -hmm. and that's why I said in most developed countries these are the statistics. In fact in Scotland instead of it being a 1 in 1500 uh, risk for having a child with an isolated cleft it's actually nearer to the 1 in 700 figure of cleft lip and palate so Mm -hmm. it does vary from population Mm -hmm. to population. And I guess if it's statistics that you're wanting, you should ask to be referred to your local cleft team and perhaps onwards to the, yeah, the genetic uh, clinic if there's not a genetics attached to the, the cleft team itself. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. What is genetic counselling and how, how do people access it?
2: Your GP can refer you to mm-hmm. a, a, a genetics clinic or if you're part of a, a cleft clinic they can refer yeah. you or any other hospital consultant can yeah. refer. Some uh, genetics clinics do take self-referrals. We used to in Glasgow, but not so much now. We, if people phone up, we say, if you go along to your GP, I'm sure he'll send in a, a, an official mm-hmm. referral letter. So when people come along to a genetics clinic, what we start by doing is drawing a family tree. Mm-hmm. Because although they're there to discuss the one medical problem they've got, as we draw the, fa- draw the family tree, we might see other things that give us clues to what might be going on in a family. Not necessarily, other clefts but there can be other medical problems which we know can give rise to an increased risk to somebody (laughs) having a cleft and that's what we're looking for when we we draw these family trees. And for the majority of people with a a cleft that come to a genetics clinic will not find anything else in the Mm. family, it will be one of these isolated situations and all will be Doing is giving that advice that you know healthy yeah. uh, mm-hmm. living before trying for a, a baby, mm-hmm. and that quoting that kind of one in fifty chance of them having a baby with a cleft. For others, we may identify that either the person themselves has had other medical problems that we know are associated with their cleft, or that somebody else in the family has got an associated medical problem. And that might give us a clue to which particular genetic disorder is running in that family. We would then discuss Mm -hmm. whether we could do genetic tests or not to confirm that diagnosis. And if we confirm the diagnosis, what options would be available to them when it comes to planning their, their own families. So there's quite a lot that can be done in a genetics clinic, but for by far the majority, it's really a reassuring. Appointment. Yeah.
0: yeah. And so you, you mentioned as well, like some genetic tests just before. What, what sort of, You know, are they the form of a blood test. Or? They're
2: usually blood tests. Uh, occasionally, we can do them on saliva if somebody is very <laughs> averse to having uh, needles. And quite often, you know, children who have grown to adults who have had treatment for the cleft throughout their life are kind of a bit averse to having <laughs> further procedures done. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we can use saliva samples uh, in some occasions. There's a difference between looking for uh, alterations in genes and alterations in the chromosomes. I didn't say earlier, but the chromosomes are the packages that genes are carried on. And if we want to look for an alteration in chromosomes, which might include several different genes being involved, we need a blood sample for that. But if it's for looking at a single gene, we can do that in a saliva sample.
3: Oh sorry, I have a question for Michael actually, I'm just thinking something, Um, so sometimes when I've um, seen people who want to be referred to genetics, they've asked about particular things that they would be scared to find out, so not necessarily about a cleft, um, but um, I've I've seen people who've recently had someone in the family diagnosed with something like Huntington's, Um, what would you be looking at in that case, can people specify and tell you about things that they're particularly worried about finding? What what should people know in advance? If they told us during the consultation that they had say a grandmother who had Huntington's
2: Mm -hmm. we would then say to them would they like us to look into that further yeah. if they say no at that point yeah that's the the end of the story and if they would like us to look into it further we would then have a discussion about yeah. Huntington's and how it's in, mm. inherited so it'd be very much led yeah, by them know. and similarly if we saw something else in the family that alerted us to there possibly being a problem yeah. we would ask them is that something they were worried about mm-hmm. um, and they might say should I be worried about it <laughs> and yeah. say well we could look into it but if you're not yeah, worried about it. We don't need to. So. Yeah, thank you. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And um,
0: obviously, with, within the Cleft Team, genetic counselling is mm-hmm. a little bit different than some of the other services because it's, um, the geneticist isn't necessarily someone who you, you know, you will have, have seen before. Um, how does someone go about, you know, letting the Cleft Team know that, that this is something that is important to them?
3: It can be as simple as that, really. Just let, let one of us know. Mm. So. Um, it doesn't really matter who you are talking to in the cleft team or who you already know in the cleft team, or if you don't or if you or if you don't actually know anyone in the cleft team yet. So for some people, they might not be wanting to reaccess um cleft services for any further treatment, but this is something on their mind. Um but look on the cleft website about your cleft team and say it's the geneticist you want to speak to. Um But otherwise, if you are already in a team, talk to anybody who you're seeing, whether that's the dentist, the speech therapist, the psychologist, um, ask us. And as Margot was saying um, as well, you can talk to your GP as well if you're not sure who your cleft team is, or don't want to get involved um, through that route, Um, but by covering the bases of um, your GP and also your cleft team, whether you know them or not yet they should between them be able to put you in contact with the right people who can get that kind of appointment for you.
0: Excellent.
2: Sometimes we get referrals from the antenatal clinics so somebody's already Mm -hmm. pregnant and then Mm. has become worried it would be much better if people did get organised and you know asked to be seen prior to becoming uh, pregnant in case there are options that we would be able to offer them.
3: Yeah,
0: excellent. Isn't that, that one of the things that you know, it certainly came up on the roadshow and mm-hmm. a little bit in the survey um, is a situation where people perhaps hadn't thought so much about, you know, um, counselling or hadn't been aware it was available yeah. um, and really it was a, a bit of a shock to them at the point where they um, found out antenatally that their child was going to be born with a cleft. Um, assuming that that happens. What options would be available to somebody at that point?
3: So, is that in the antenatal um, part or in the genetic consultation? Yeah.
0: So, so assuming you know, like at, at the twenty-week scans, we had a diagnosis. You know, what what support and, and things would be available?
3: Um, so, usually, I, I think the case is that in if somebody is diagnosed antenatally with a cleft, that every cleft team in the UK will put them in touch with the cleft um, nurse, the clinical nurse specialists in the cleft team at that point. Um, And it's quite a normal part of the clinical nurse specialists role in um, our teams to provide the kind of early counseling about that. Um, For most people, as you've said, it is um, a bit of a shock and can be upsetting for some people. and in every team as far as I'm aware if somebody feels like they would like to explore that further they can also um, be referred to one of the clinical psychologists in the team um, who can spend a bit more time talking about the feelings and maybe offer a bit of a longer appointment um, than the 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 clinical nurse specialist might be able to Uh, so it's really um, hopefully we'll have support from the nurses um, and also you can get in touch with the clinical psychologists if you think that actually having more time to talk about it would be helpful. Um, so the main two points that we can support um, with that happening if it's upsetting for people on Excellent. the cleft
0: team. and I think it's important for people to be aware of because it's a slightly different situation I think to that, that typical sort of antenatal diagnosis where oh. you know, people are obviously getting given a lot of information on cleft where obviously if, if that's your, your background yep. yourself you, you know that but that kind of unique position of you know I, I've heard um, people discuss sort of feelings of you know perhaps guilt or blame or responsibility Mm, or ownership you know all those sorts of emotions that come into it which obviously requires a slightly different discussion. I
3: mean it's interesting because um, I'd say what we what we most see and recognise as a team is that it varies to people how it Mm. means. So I've, on the other hand, seen people who said, well, I'm the best possible parent for this child because I know this like the back of my hand. Mm. Mm. Um, So some people will find that upsetting and might want further support about that. For other people, that won't. um, be something that they're particularly um, bothered by even if it was a surprise um, so that's a conversation that you uh, that the nurse specialist would be having with people at that time and if it feels that it is very difficult for people um, they're likely to be um, to have it suggested that they could come and talk to one of us as the clinical psychologists um, but anybody who is in that situation um you will not be the first person to have been upset by that situation. The nurse will have had that conversation with other people before and it's an understandable response. So don't feel that there's something um, wrong with you or that you just can't handle things like other people mm. can. Um, it's a very uh, normal response to getting big news that changes the picture of what you thought was going to happen in your head. Um, so uh, please uh, don't beat yourself up about feeling that that's a big and difficult um, piece of news for you to hear. Definitely.
1: Kate, okay, um, yeah, you might have answered this question but I'm getting to be out there anyway. Um, I imagine that one of the hopes when people undergo genetic testing is to discover that they have a, a very low likelihood of passing on cleft. However, if my partner and I found out we had a one in four chance, for example, of having a child with a cleft, what should we do with that information? How does it help us with our decision of whether or not to have children?
3: I think the thing that's central to us as clinical psychologists working in the cleft team in any situation mm. is to think about and encourage people to think about what having a cleft means to them mm. so um as a in the earlier example if some if a cleft is going to mean something slightly different to every individual so for some people it might be that their cleft was not something that they considered a big deal at all so it might not be something that feels like a particularly big deal to f- find out about but i think the most important thing for people to think about and maybe talk to each other about and potentially talk to other people in the cleft team about is what is the meaning to you of your Mm -hmm. child potentially having a cleft. Um, I think it's sometimes uh, particularly difficult for people who having a cleft themselves is very difficult and hearing that news some people will envision their child having exactly the same experience of them. Uh, And I suppose for us that's significant because it suggests that the the parent might be living with very negative uh, feelings attached to having a cleft. Um, So talking to... for partners to talk to each other is helpful. Sometimes mm-hmm. people find it's helpful. Um, I do myself with my partner about things. If it's a decision that affects both of us and we see it from different perspectives, find a friend or somebody else yeah. you can talk mm-hmm. to independently mm-hmm. from your partner. Um, but in terms of what to do next and how to think about it and how it affects your decisions and how you'll handle it, it's going to be very individual to what having a cleft and mm-hmm. what your child having a cleft means to you. And that will vary from person to person. Yeah,
0: of course. I'm going to come back to you, Margot, for this mm-hmm. next one. So let's imagine that you know somebody in my family had a cleft. Perhaps my mum, dad, a brother, sister, um, or cousin had been born with a cleft. What would that mean, You know, assuming that I didn't have a cleft, what would that mean for my future children? Are, are they at an increased risk of having a cleft?
2: You would be at a slightly increased risk over the population risk. Obviously, the closer in relation to the person with the cleft, you are, like a first degree relative is going to be higher than a second degree relative. So for a parent who's got a, a cleft themselves or it has already a parent without a cleft who's had a child with a cleft, then that's where that 1 in 50 chance comes in and the further you get from these relationships, the lower the, the risk is going to be until you approach that population risk of one seven hundred. So generally we would be reassuring if it's not a first degree relative.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that sounds like, you know, one of the, the big things about genetic counselling is kind of this role in reassuring people, yeah. um, you know, and sort of counselling them, them through that mm. as well.
2: Yes, because I think a lot of people come along to genetics clinic thinking the risk is very high mm-hmm. yeah. and then as soon as we tell them that it's low you can see mm-hmm. the, kind of, the shoulders go yeah. down in yeah. a sigh of
1: Okay, this is another one for you, um, Margot, so yeah, let's imagine my partner had been born with a cleft, how likely is it our children will be born with a cleft?
2: That's that 1 in 50 mm. chance, yeah. the, mm-hmm. the 2% chance, mm-hmm. yeah. but turning it round the other way, yeah. 98% of the time it's <laughs> not going yeah. to, to happen, yeah. and it would be a case of putting that in perspective of your chance
3: of having a child with mm-hmm. any other medical problem. Do we, mm-hmm. do we know what the, um, what the chances are if two both parents have a cleft? Something that it's about mm-hmm. one in ten when both mm-hmm. got a cleft or if a
2: parent has a cleft and then has a child with a cleft then the chance of having a second child with a cleft is about one in ten as well mm-hmm. but nine times out of ten it's not yeah. good happen. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> okay. And you know and like we were saying before you know all those other conditions that we don't worry about. Same risk, similar same risk of, as yeah. the rest of the population. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, finally, I'm going to come back to you, Jess, mm-hmm. for this one. And you, you sort of um, asked us a little bit earlier, but just to, to sort of dig down a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. So obviously, in the key scenario before, where the partner had been born with a cleft and was unsure whether they wanted to have children, uh, perhaps to you know, to a concern that, like you were saying, that they mm-hmm. didn't want their child to go through what they had gone through. Um, but you, as the partner. Did indeed want uh-huh. children. Um, I imagine that can be a very tricky, you know, yes. <laughs> thing for, for a lot of couples. What would you recommend that Nikki do to support her partner, but whilst also yeah. making sure that her own wishes were heard and respected?
3: I think that's a really good question, and mm. I think it's. Um, I've spoken to a lot of partners of people with a the cleft, who, to them, it can be quite um, frustrating that to that they do not see their partner's cleft as an issue to uh, to them. So in terms of um, when some, sometimes people with a cleft will say it's the social part of having a cleft that was difficult and that can be quite hard for partners to hear when they're thinking, you know, I love you, it's not mm-hmm. been an issue um, to me. So it, it can feel quite a personal issue to partners actually to hear that the cleft is still something that bothers someone when they themselves don't think it should be a significant part of their life. Um, yeah, as I said, if you're a partner and indeed if, you're, if, if you are somebody with a cleft, Sometimes talking to each other about the answers only gets to, uh, about uh, the situation only gets you so far. If you're not seeing eye to eye on things, mm. um, sometimes it can be helpful to talk to somebody else, talk to a third party about it, because I think it can be very difficult to talk about an issue that's personal to both of you that you both see um, from different sides um, on. And it is something that if um, there are two um, prospective partners and this is something that's difficult for them, in the cleft team, as psychologists and as nurses, while we are technically there for the patients, it's very it would be very welcome to have um, partners come with um, the people with the cleft as well to talk about these things. Um, and sometimes having uh, kind of talking to the team and having a third party in there facilitating that conversation can feel a bit more comfortable for people and can give you kind of suggestions as to what kind of things to think about, other questions, what are the other underlying issues here, is it about the fear that something's going to be the same for the child as it was for the parent, which as, um, you know, lots of, anybody I imagine with children knows, you can't imagine what your child's life is going to be like, even Mm. if you think Mm. you can picture it, there are lots of things that might um, make it different. And so we would be happy as the psychologists in the cleft team, the nurses would be happy as well to have conversations with people, but if you're a partner, yes, you are a significant part of that party. Um, I'd also say that a lot of who I see asking about genetics are people who don't actually necessarily have partners yet, that just want to know this information for their own, um, just to, to know. And. So you can access the genetics um, service connected to the craft team or in your local area if you don't have a partner. You don't have to be imminently thinking about having children. It can be a hypothetical thing. Um, And again, if that conjures up similar feelings for you of it feeling quite tricky to hear the answer, we would be happy to talk to you about the possibility of it, even if it wasn't going to happen. Um, We don't require people to actually be having to make a decision about having children in the next couple of months to think it's worth Mm. talking about.
0: Of course. And I think, you know, from what you were saying before as well, Marco, like, you know, going through this process earlier rather than at that sort of point where, you know, you, you know, becoming pregnant. you have to make decisions kind yeah. of quickly, yeah. And, yeah. 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 and such like, um. or
3: it's going to come as a shock to you. Yeah. And. and I think some people, um, some people would prefer to go to a, an appointment alone. Some people would prefer to go with partners, and you will see people if they go by themselves, oh, We see whole know. families or individuals as well, yeah. yeah. somebody's I mean, brought their sister along before because she wanted to know as well. It, it, we might see
2: them back with the partner afterwards if the person yeah. has come on their own and saying that's a kind of conflict of
1: yeah. what they think
2: they should be doing. and. Um, what I've seen in the genetics clinic is the the person with the cleft or whatever mm-hmm. other medical problem is says but if we had a child with that I would feel guilty that it was me that mm-hmm. you, know, you have to explain that you've got no control over your genes mm-hmm. that you you pass on mm-hmm. and that everybody's got a chance of having a child with yep. a medical yeah. problem mm-hmm. even though they didn't have a health problem mm-hmm. themselves to start with so mm-hmm. again it's reassurance that's yeah. it's needed
0: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. definitely and because that's certainly something we we hear a lot is that you know kind of pe- people are are worried that they they might feel guilt or, or that mm-hmm. they might be blamed and i think a lot of that's mm-hmm. people's own perception mm-hmm. in yeah. themselves as opposed to anything mm-hmm. that's coming from their family or you know yes, certainly definitely. not i've never actually heard that come from a partner of anybody no. um mm-hmm. but yeah i think it's really good to know that these services are available for people and that they can you know go along with their partner if, if that's what they feel is appropriate mm-hmm. for them yes definitely because well, these, these are not None of this is easy, sort of stuff. No, for people, no, no, it?
3: no, No, it's not, and it's going to mm. it's going to be different for every person. Who they feel most comfortable going with, mm. how they want to deal with that information. Um, but think about the kind of people who you like speaking to, who you turn to for support about other problems as well. Um, and actually, I suppose other people say it's helpful to um, talk to other people who have a who've been in the same position. Mm. And I know that lots of our um, patients are now familiar with. Um, the okay. clapper adult services and some people have said that's a really um, nice place to discuss um, mm. is people who were in exactly the same situation because it's mm. a very um, mm. niche situation to yeah. be in yeah. Yeah. Um, and sometimes even if it doesn't lead to kind of the answer it can be really helpful to talk to someone who knows exactly where you're coming yeah. from and I think just having
2: spoken about it helps as well yeah, yeah. A lot of these people have been bottling it up for all Absolutely. their life probably, mm-hmm. the, yeah. their concerns about having children and then just yeah. to be able to speak to other people who are in the same situation or an independent person who's not in the same situation who can see it from a completely different mm. perspective yeah.
3: than their own. It, it, you mm. know, something that we I hear over and over again um, in my role as a, in a, psych, as a psychologist in the CLEF team, that people feel isolated and they're the only person. Um, and. I think it's easy for us to lose perspective of that in the team because day in day out, all I see are people <laughs> who have cleft. I, I don't be anybody in my job who doesn't have a cleft. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, other than saying just hang around in the waiting room a bit longer to people, <laughs> go to if you think it would be helpful to get in touch with somebody to know that you're not on your own, whether it's about genetics or anything else. Um, I think cleft is something that we always um, encourage people to go. Definitely, mm. definitely.
0: There's okay. a, a lot of sol- solidarity in those, those yes. groups there that, um, <laughs> and you know, shared experiences.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's all we've got time for um, on the panel discussion this month. And we hope that you have found this discussion to be useful and interesting.
0: And remember that you can access more information and listen again to this and other panel discussions on our website at www.clapper.com forward slash adult services project.
1: If this discussion has made you wish to seek support or undergo genetic counselling, please contact your GP and request a referral to the cleft team. You will find the details of your local team on our website.
0: Um, I'd like to really thank our panellists Jess Hare and Margot Whiteford um, here in Scotland for joining us um, for today's (laughs) discussion, as well as a big thank you to you at home for joining us as well
1: if you want to find out more about genetics or many of the other topics featuring the cleft talk we'd love for you to come and join us at the adult adults conference here in glasgow on saturday the 14th of september it promises to be an informative and enjoyable day find out more and secure your place today by visiting our website at www.clapper.com ac 2019
0: and uh, rather fittingly with them um, we are just discussing obviously all the things um decisions within relationships so make sure to join us again next month when we'll be in preschool discussing friendships and romantic relationships promises to be an interesting one mm-hmm. until then bye-bye for now
1: hey guys thanks for tuning in we want to know what you thought of the program so we can make it even better
0: if you found this program interesting please make sure that you subscribe to our podcast
1: our next podcast and video is coming up at the end of next month check out www.clapper.com Clef Talk to find out what we'll be talking about next. You can also watch this and other panel discussions again on our website.
0: And we want your questions to take to the panel, so visit our panel discussion page on our website to submit your questions.
1: You also can check out everything we're up to with the Adult Services Project including a list of our upcoming programmes and events at www.clapper.com/adult-services-project.
0: And finally, don't forget you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We look forward to seeing you again soon. Bye for now.
2: Bye.